you really just have to know your target, your target ROAS, as we call it, yeah, which is mm. the hard cash number of, you know, how what sales to come from first customers, first time mm. customers, and how much have you spent every day? And that every day, you know, we, you know, retailers, we're traders. You, in my opinion, you have to know the, that number every single day of your trading. Mm. Then, if you're massively above, you've got great opportunity to go and maybe spend some more money and go faster, or you know, if you're massive, if you're below, then you really need to be looking at how your channels are performing. Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, the e-commerce podcast is a show all about helping you to deliver e-commerce wow. And to help us do just that today, I am chatting with Oliver Spock from Sweet Analytics about the five levers of growth, harnessing customer data for e-commerce success. Now, before Oliver and I dive into our conversation, which I just a little heads up, I know is going to be good just based on the preamble that we've just had. Uh, let me share some of our podcast picks, uh, previous episodes that I think you're going to enjoy. The first one, discover the human elements behind the numbers with Monica Sharma Panetka. Uh, definitely check out that episode for reason which will become obvious in just a few seconds. Uh, and also check out why web analytics are key to growth with Michael Loban. That was another great episode, actually. Uh, you can access our podcast picks and our entire podcast archive for free on our website at ecommercepodcast.net. Plus, if you're there, sign up to our newsletter because we send you the links to our podcast picks along with the notes uh, from today's conversation with Oliver. They all get delivered straight to your inbox totally for free at no cost to you which is pretty amazing. So do sign up for that. Now, are you struggling to grow your e-commerce business? Do you feel like you're constantly spinning your wheels trying to figure out what to focus on next? Well, let me tell you, I have been there and I know how frustrating that can be, which is why we love the fact that e-commerce cohort sponsors the show. E-commerce cohort helps companies like yours deliver an exceptional customer experience online that drives results. And to help you get started, we're excited to talk about the free resource put together called e-commerce cycles. It's a mini course which walks you through a proven framework for building a successful e-commerce business. I'm going to show you the specific steps we take in our own e-commerce companies so you can see exactly how to put those concepts into practice in your own business. And the good news, it's completely free. You don't even need an email address and you can check it out at ecommercecycles.com. So do check out, check out that training, free training at e-commerce cycles. Uh, and, you know, it's going to help you deliver e-commerce well. So do check it out. Uh, and uh, it's great. It's great, actually, that you can do that. We love it. We took, I was in the States recently, took some people through e-commerce cycles. Business were turning over about 10 million a year. Brilliant. We had a great time doing it. So it does work. Now, let me just go back and give a huge shout out to Monica, uh, who has connected Oliver and myself today. So check out more information about Monica. If you've not listened to her episode, do check it out, as I mentioned. Uh, but you can see more about her at businesswithmonica.com. And Monica is actually also going to be in the cohort mastermind, sharing her wisdom and insight which I can't wait to hear. So, Monica, absolute legend. Now, let's talk about Oliver, the retail whiz who turned tech wonder kid. 
His entrepreneurial journey started in the world of linings and lamps, where he spearheaded the white company's meteoric rise from a modest £6 million venture to a whopping £50 million turnover. Uh, but Oliver didn't stop there. Swapping cashmere throws for code, he harnessed his retail savvy to create sweet analytics. I just love the way that these bios are written. Uh, now he's on a mission to empower SMEs, demystifying the world of data and turning it into a powerful tool for success. As the architect behind the platform, he wished he'd had as a retailer. Oliver is your go-to guru for converting numbers into victories. So get ready to dive into his world where data reigns supreme and every figure tells a story. Oliver, great to have you on the show, man. How are you doing? I'm very well, Matt. And if I could have the same script writer as you, I'd be really happy. Because <laughs> they made you one hell of a job of, um, of conversing um, someone's career into, into some great lines. Like that's yeah. I'll have to work on that now. <laughs> well, just use that one, uh, Oliver. That's totally fine. Uh, Ori, the team at Orient Media who produce the show uh, do a great job with these bios. And I just, every time we have a guest on the show, it's the one I just look forward to reading the guest bio. I don't actually read it before we do the recording because I like the surprise of it. Uh, and I, it just, it, I, they, they do such a great job with that. So, you know, well done. Well done. So, Oliver, before we hit the record button, uh, you told me that you were, you were dialing in from the sunny climates of, of Spain. I am Matt. I'm sitting in Valencia. Um, my CPO for Sweet Analytics lives here in Valencia, and myself and my CRO have come over here. So um, I hope you're sitting somewhere rainy, but having left England before we've met, I, don't, I, know, I know it's not for one that that's the case. So the contrast isn't as good as I'd, li I'd like it to be, but it's certainly nice to be, you know, like always, it's nice to get together with the team. We work in a very virtual way. I've developed a team yeah. in Krakow. I have a team in England and I have uh, the girl who lives here in Spain. So it's always good to, to get together anyhow. Yeah, I, I, Valencia is not a bad place to get together with people, is it really? It's, uh, it seems like, you know, it's not a hard job. Uh, <laughs> we all know, anybody who goes away, once you get to your game abroad, people assume that you're playing golf and doing nothing mm -hmm. else. And, not, mm -hmm. and, you know, am I doing the first thing I'm doing? I'm spending my time doing a podcast with you, Matt. I mean, <laughs> I'm out of the restaurants, not on the beach. So maybe, maybe some work gets done sometimes. Maybe. May <laughs> I've just come back. I was, I was saying to you, I've just come back from a three-week trip um, in the States where I was at Subsummit. Um, and if you're a regular to the show, you know we've had uh, Chris George on the show talking about Subsummit. We had a great time over there. We recorded some podcasts. We've got some great guests coming. All of that's coming. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you all of this, Oliver, is... Um, my when someone asked my daughter why am i going to the states she was like because of work uh, and if you're not watching the video i'm doing that sort of funny uh inverted commas with my fingers uh and that's just what she kept doing it's work dad you're going for work aren't you and actually it was really you know you, you're with people 24 7 it is a bit of work um to be fair i did i did manage to head to the beach for a, for a day or two so it wasn't it wasn't all bad i'll bring you up for a couple of days and we'll see who's got a better tan <laughs> Absolutely. I tell you what, it's not going to be me. I have one of those skin types that just goes pink uh, as soon as the sun comes out. I just don't tan. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we all have our burdens to bear in life, don't we? So, Oliver, let's talk about um, your career a little bit here. So you said uh, we read in the bio that you were involved in the White Company, which is for those of the folks outside of the UK um, that might not know what the White Company is, just explain. 
Yeah. So the white company, I think, you know, it's a, now in the US. So hopefully if you've got people living in the US uh, listening to this, um, it's, I think, a really good story um, in terms of it, you know, the journey that we went on, the classic multi-channel journey. Uh, I took over the white company where it was a mail order business. You know, we were way back in the time when Google Ads didn't exist. So we did a really early website. We were really early into, into uh, putting it online mm-hmm. and then moved on and we um, uh, started doors as well. So, you know, I always think of, you know, how do you grow a business, you know, what I learned when I was at the white company was, you know, there are various levers that you can pull and it's really important to have a grasp of them. And for you, you know, for your American, um, uh, listeners, you know, all my learning actually came from Williams Noma. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, as I explained, you know, we, I got this problem where I didn't know how to grow. And then fortunately some guy from, from Williams Noma came over to the UK and told us all about multi-channel. And that unlocked a whole world of possibility for, for me and, and the white company. We were really early adopters of, of that of that whole model. Um, okay. But you know, it's, it's moving forward. We're in a digital age of most channel now. So, you know, there's there's variants from what it was, but the same principle. We've all got targets, you all want to grow, and you, you you've got to work out what's the best way of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you've you've touched on the um five levers of growth and uh, this in the show title. So let's start there and see where the conversation goes. Just tell us what those five levers are. Yeah. I love a conversation with you. I've got five points and then we'll get halfway around the thing. And I won't remember what they are, Matt. I'll, 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 I'll cheer you up. I have got five. So first of all, it's all about customer data and, and absolutely the fundamentals. If you don't understand your customer data, it might be we haven't got to start. Then right. we talk about not you know, changing product and how you define your product strategy. You've then got channel which is really important in that, you know, I mentioned the multi-channel model, the old fashioned multi-channel model, but the new multi-channel model is it digital first, it's different marketing channels, but it's market marketplaces as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the e-com world is very complex and very broad mm-hmm. and so that all fits under channel, uh, in, in my, in my model. Okay. And then you've got international, you know, and there are lots of brands. We, we, we work with over a hundred brands, um, you know, we're seeing some enormous successes uh, across internationally. And, you know, as I perhaps sort of bring this back to a framework in a moment, you know, you've got to have different things that you can do to change the shape of the what, where you're going and the numbers. So international should, you know, particularly as things become, you've got globally, you've got lots of other ways now of, 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 of addressing um, international markets. So mm. international is the fourth lever of growth. And then the fifth for me is always a brand brand. And in brand, uh, I sort of, I cheat a bit because I put slight metrics into it as well, because ultimately, you know, for me, the brand and for most people, that's a manifestation of website, but you know, there's all the soft bits about what it looks and feels like, but you know, I'm really all around, you know, numbers and what, what numbers you have to move. So, mm. you know, a whole site funnel is a crucial part of it. And, and that whole brand experience that, that can be measured in that way is what I put in that fifth lever. So you got these uh, five levers from the chap that came over from the States whilst you were heading up the white company. No, I got, well, I got from the chap from the States. So my, my, my experience was I, I took over the white company. I was MD for, uh, and I had a very simple intensive target, which was is really good discipline, which was I had to grow at 40% a year for five wow. years. Yeah. And 
my remuneration was I, I got rewarded for, for inequity for, for growth. And I got mm-hmm. rewarded in, in, in pound notes for, for, for delivering profit. And that, you know, those two, understanding how those two work together are really, really important. And so even I could do a spreadsheet that went 1.4 times five times. And, mm-hmm. you know, I knew that, you know, that meant I had to get to 30 odd million in five years time. And it was only really when I began to understand customer metrics, did I understand, did I have a clue of how I was going to do it? Mm. And the Williams Noma guy came and helped me was at that point I'd hit, you know, you talked about spinning wheels. I'd hit the spinning wheels point. I didn't know, couldn't recruit any more customers of my required cost per acquisition. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to quite do. And we were pulling the product lever and the product lever, unfortunately, isn't instantaneous. Like most mm-hmm. levers, nothing's instantaneous. Um, but he effectively came and taught us that actually, if you offered a customer more channels, they spent more. So his example was they spent $180 if they've got one channel, they spend $240 if they've got two channels, and they spend $360 if they've got three channels. And for me, that was a hallelujah moment because, uh, well, okay, now, now I can get more money out of our customers. If mm-hmm. I'm struggling to, to recruit the number of customers I need, let's get more money out of them. And that, so that was the real, that was the real takeout from that. Um, and then the other bit that really supported my sort of well, understanding of growth was that there's a, you know, a top consultant in the, in the, in the space called Jim Fulton. Um, and Jim was the person who, you know, explained to me the model of how he brought people in the top of a D2C business and they flow down through over years in order to, to understand where you get to in five years. Yeah. Time. So it's the same principle. If you want to, you know, if you're going from half a million to a million or whether you're going from 5 million to 10 million or any other number, the really fundamental first thing for me is you have to understand how those customer metrics work. So, well, let's dig into that then. So the first point, your first lever is customer data. Why is, I think you made the comment that if you don't have that, if you don't understand that, you don't really have a business. Um, Why are you so so strong on that uh, it's not that i disagree by the way i'm just i'm just uh i'm really curious to know your thought pattern here yeah look the really key thing is so i ask you know i speak to lots of people like you do matt and you, you know with your various hats yeah and my principal thing is i ask people where they want to go so you know do you want to achieve a million next year or wherever mm-hmm. it is and then the next question i ask them is do you know how many new customers you need in order to achieve that goal and I reckon in about 80% of my answers, I get a no to that. And if you don't, because the dynamics of acquisition are so different from retention and they differ for every business, yeah, unless you know how many new customers you, you need to, to grow and you know what it costs to acquire a new customer, you haven't got a scooby's chance of, of achieving what you need to in success if you don't know those, those two numbers. Yep. So, and if you don't know those two numbers, you know, for me, that's, you know, a red flag that a business is less likely to achieve what it wants to achieve. And, and from my own experience, you know, mm. it's only really understanding that, that I was then able to understand how, you know, if I could acquire a customer in year one, well, that customer, you know, the probability of that customer then still delivering me value in year three is, is you know, perfectly understandable from history or, or even just modeling it. And, and it, you know, you can't leave, you know, you can't go from, you know, I went from six to 50 million. You can't just get 10 million extra sales in the last year by going, oh, I'm on day one, I need to do something. You've got to build that model mm. so you've got that base of customers um, that effectively allows you to achieve what, what you're wanting to do. So 
just for me, it's, it, you know, you, and for anybody running an e-commerce business, if you do not know how to translate that statement of, I want to grow at 50%, or I want to grow from 1 million to 5 million into demonstrable customer metrics, your chances of success are very slim. It's a really powerful statement, uh, Oliver, because I, I'm just thinking throughout all the years I've been doing this, um, I've sat under a lot of people who have asked, where are you? Where do you want to be? Um, but I don't recall anyone ever then following up that question with, and how many new customers is it going to take to get there? And what's your cost of acquisition? I've, I, we talk a lot about cost of acquisition, um, both in cohort and on the podcast. So, um, the, the, the CPA is quite an interesting thing, but understanding, um, how many new customers it's going to take to reach your turnover figure. I don't know of many people that have asked that question, um, which I find quite insightful. Um, how did you, how, where did that revelation come from? That came from me, from my own experience. So I, I, you know, as I said, I had this simple spreadsheet that one put 1.4 times version. And then I, you know, I learned that, you know, in order my second year, I needed 75,000 new customers to, to get to it. And, that, and then I knew that the next year I needed 125,000 new customers. Mm. And I did it in the old world. I did a massive extrapolation of what I'd done on cold lists of direct mail, and I lost 250 grand in a, in a season. And, you know, that's painful when your bonus is attached to, to profitability. Mm -hmm. But what I learned out of that is that actually I could afford to lose money because as the lifetime value of those customers unwound, mm -hmm. hallelujah, in year two, that came good. And I then understood how I could start achieving that next bit of target because I had a, whole, a bigger base. And, mm -hmm. and it's that whole circular interplay of when do you bring customers in? How long do they last? And, it, and there's different, you know, it's different metrics for every business. You know, if you're, if you're a jewelry business, for instance, you're probably, you know, 90% reliant on new customers. You know, a jewelry business recruits a customer, you know, in year one, probably only 10% of them come back in year two. If you're a fashion mm -hmm. business, you know, and it's good fashion business, they've probably got 40% people. And, mm -hmm. and unless you understand you know, you understand what the retention rate is, what the average order value is, then, you know, and how many orders per customer you may get in that time period. You know, those are what you, you know, I'm sorry, get a bit granular into, into metrics, but you really need to understand mm. those. But the simple, simple question is that, as you would say, is do you know how many new customers you need to acquire to achieve? That's really good stuff. And then do you break that down further, Oliver? Do you say, do you look at where your new customers come from? So I'm just very simply thinking, well, currently my 30% of my customers come from Facebook, 20% are Facebook ads, 20% come from Instagram ads, 50% come from Google shopping. So I know it's a very crude breakdown. I don't actually know what the data is, but um, would you break it down then by channel? So if I needed a thousand new customers, that means on these current percentages I need to go and get another 300 from Facebook, another 200 from Instagram and another 500 from Google. Yeah. Yes is the answer. But I think there's a step before that, which for most businesses and particularly for early, earlier stage business is what you need to know is you need to understand what you can afford to pay for a customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what you can afford to pay, not based on average order value, but on, on whatever view on lifetime value that you need to, to have, because 
going back to that, that, that insight I was sort of talking about for my own white company experience, I, I learned that I could lose money on the first order, but it created profit down the line. And what's really important for any business, we have a thing called a margin calculator in speed. Mm. Yeah. You need to set the metrics up before you get into channel. Yeah. But just effectively, can you afford 27 pounds or 50 pounds or what is it? Can you afford that, you know, after delivery costs, after all those things, after returns, what can you afford to spend? Because, you know, ultimately as a retailer, there, there, there you know, there are so many numbers in marketing re, you know, that we all have to deal with. So many platforms that tell you mm -hmm. what hot numbers. The only thing you really know is, you know, how many sales you've got, you know, how much money you've spent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're the hard numbers. Yeah. And. So before I get into the, you know, really get into the nitty gritty of which channel and, and some of the conversations we've had about attribution, you really just have to know your target, your target row asset, we call it. Yeah. Which is mm. the hard cash number of, you know, how, what sales to come from first customers, first time mm. customers, and how much have you spent every day? And that every day, you know, we, you know, retailers, we're traders. You, in my opinion, you have to know the, that number every single day of your trading. Mm. Then if you're massively above, you've got great opportunity to go and maybe spend some more money and go faster. Or, you know, if you're massive, if you're below, then you really need to be looking at how your channels are performing. So it, it you know, so though absolutely, I believe in, in attribution and, and I'm trying to understand that, mm. yeah, most cases, just make sure you understand the fundamental first. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. That is a very good point. And it's, it's an, it's an interesting statement you bring up on attribution. But I want to talk about lifetime value a little bit. You, you mentioned that um, one of the things that I've been hearing, in fact, at Subsummit, um, where I was at a few weeks ago, one of the things that they were talking about a lot there, given the state of um, uh, interest rates. Um, so just, I, I don't know when this show is going to get aired, but we're now in June 2023 and interest rates are not great, either in the UK or the US. They're quite high. The cost of money is quite is now expensive, you know. It's um, so there doesn't seem to be as much capital floating around the system. So what they've noticed is, um, and this is uh, the chat from Google was talking about this was actually there seems to be a pulling back on the what they call the CAC to lifetime value ratio, isn't it? Or the lifetime value to CAC ratio, which was touted the magical number I think was three to one. So um, for every pound you spent to get a customer, the customer should give you three pounds or, you know, dollar, uh, three dollars back. Um, they're saying actually what, one of the it's things that really drop it back. there is yeah. no magic number that, that, that people can generically work of what you have to understand is the metrics for your business. Because exactly. If you're an 80%, if you're an 80% margin business, you might be able to exist on a 2%, two times mm. RAS. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're not, you may need a five times RAS. So uh, just sorry to interrupt you there, but I, I'm, I'm always you know, I don't really like single, single metric sometimes. No. Stand. So I apologize. They may, they may have given a broader, but I just don't like sort of getting everyone boxed down into, we should leave here with a three to one, you know, target round ass out of here. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And in fact, one of the things they were talking about is these ratios are now moving and they're starting to become much more target specific. Um, but one of the, the, one of the interesting things that they were talking about is because the cost of acquisition of new customers is going up quite considerably. Um, there has been a massive shift now into retention marketing and engaging um, your returning customers and also the customers who used to buy from you but no longer buy from you um, seem to be the two popular things that people are going after. 
And I don't know if you've spotted this or if you if this is a trend that you've seen as well. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a trend, and it's something that I'm, I'm sort of exactly against, to be honest. Because if you do, if you have a customer forecasting model, yeah, I can absolutely guarantee you that it's very rare that you can achieve your goal through retention metrics. Now, obviously, mm. that's not if you're a, if you're a vitamin company, that's about monthly, you know. But if, in most if, if sectors of the industry, yeah, if I gave you a four-year model out of our growth model, yeah, and you start cutting down on acquisition. I can tell you, you're not going to end up where you want to in four years' mm. time. And so it, I'm, I'm not being, of course, everyone, you know, it's harder times. And, and of course, everyone needs to focus on their retention. But in my experience, it's very difficult to fundamentally change the shape of your business by just focusing on retention. Mm. It, it's fine. As long as you understand what the impact of cutting down on acquisition is, then, then fine. You, you know, absolutely cut us cloth. The, the right mm. size of time, but you know you can't go back to this. You know, are you going to be successful? It, this is a perfectly uh, this is a perfectly modelable situation. Mm. So if you recruit seventy thousand customers last year and you you know you're going to cut back and recruit fifty thousand, that means that next year, yeah, your pot is going to be smaller. You know, yeah. your overall pot has gone up, but your 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 current pot has probably gone down. And and I very very rarely see a business actually truly you know, hit onto the growth curve uh, if it doesn't focus on acquisition as well as retention. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but I'm, you know, clearly I'm not dishing retention. Mm. Retention is a bread and butter day job. Yeah. But mm. the fundamentals to move most businesses is by acquisition. Yeah. I, and I, I, I like that because I'm, when there were, as, as these concepts and ideas were coming out about retention marketing, um, it felt like short-term gain at the expense of long-term growth because you like you say you're 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 reducing the number of customers today you're increasing profits today possibly um but you're you've got a smaller pool to convert to returning customers next time and uh and and, and that doesn't doesn't make sense to me and um, it, it's going to saw that because because you know let's say you've got you know you might get 30 percent of your customers come back every year in my experience you might manage to increase that to 33 percent Mm. Uh, and that won't be your day job. I mean, you, yeah, of course, you know, email, you should be doing email properly. You should be doing all, you know, your basics of retention properly. But, you know, I've so often sat with people, people said, okay, we're going to really go into retention. And I can tell you from evidence that probably they might move their, their retention numbers by 10%. Yeah. Mm. You model that through and I can assure you growth just goes off a cliff if they stop. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. Well, Oliver. Excuse me. I'm disappointing, Matt. I'm sure that's not going to make very interesting listening. Uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> it's um, I, I'm just looking down in my notes, and we've covered point one um, yeah. of your five levers for growth. So what I want to do is jump forward a little bit because you keep using the word channel. So let's go to lever number three, which is channels. Um, yeah. And should this I was just, your should I product quickly, just so because product for me is really important. Or can I just? I'm now overstepping my mark, Barry. No, you, you, you're the guest. You can do what you like. We've only got so much time. So <laughs> let's, let's go through it. Let's go through it. So, because so, again, it all relates back to, to, to understanding your metrics. So if I come back to my white company experience, uh, Ben Linen produces a really great AOV, but a really bad, really poor re re return rate. Yeah. yeah. So, so effectively what I learned was that if I kept on recruiting the same number of people, yeah. They didn't come back fast enough 
for me to be able to achieve my growth target. Because if I only stayed with that, I needed far too many people to come in at the top of the funnel all the time. Yeah. I couldn't do those at the right cost per acquisition. So that was the learn that I took from my, my model. And then the, the easiest way to change your model, and is, when I say easy, it's in inverted commas, but is to, to introduce new product in order to change either the average order value or the number of orders per customer. Mm-hmm. So yep. in my company land, we went gift, we did a baby, we, we, we did all those, and then ultimately we did clothes. So effectively those changed my, my metrics around what I could get, what value I could get out of each customer. So in terms of, you know, going back to the same thing, customer forecast models, you know, if you can't, you know, if you, you've got, you know, you've got a certain set of numbers, you've got to have a theory about how you're going to move. And we yeah. thought we could move our number by, by having different products. Get people seem to like us. Yeah. If you've got permission from the brand to, to sell, you work out what you can sell more of. Yeah. What else can you sell to them? We tried Garden Verger, they didn't, that was an absolute disaster. Um, but, but you know, that we didn't have brand permission, but, yeah. but for the things that we did, people understood why we were trying to do it. And that was driven by us. Understa- I, I understood that I couldn't recruit more customers, so I need to get more value out. And mm. that's product strategy in order to drive. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I was always told, uh, Oliver, that there's only three things that you can do to grow your business. Increase the number of customers, increase the average order value, and increase the frequency with which those customers purchase from you. And um, it, it's always made sense to me that you work on those three levers. What are my new customers? How do I get to increase the basket size on the e-commerce website? And how do I get them to increase the amount of times they buy from me every year, right? What's the frequency? Which is why whenever I've done e-commerce, I've always been really interested in, in um products or websites that have the ability to have an increased customer frequency order. Um, and so you sort of, you work on those three things and growing new customers is not the only thing you can do. Um, you can work on average order value. And so things like product mix become really important then, don't they? So uh, how much they're ordering now and whether they come back sooner all depends on the products that you have. Exactly. Everything comes back, you know, everything really actually relates to customer and product. You know, we've mm. got customers who and sell them stuff. And, and, you know, change, change what you said, you know, if they believe you, you know, sell them. If you know, if you make it really simple, if you sell sausages, yeah, don't just sell one type of sausage, just try and with two types of sausages and I bet mm-hmm. you sell more. Yeah. And it's the yeah. same principle, but we, you know, slightly more broader and it's got risk, you know, moving into different product categories have different risk profiles and things like that. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a key, you know, going back to your AV number, you've got to move that number. Yeah. You have to, you have to think of something to do to, to, to do it. Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, can we move on to channels? <laughs> I'm just too keen and eager to get to channels. So explain what you mean by channels. And I'm really curious, especially uh, with your um, your hallelujah moment that you had here. Yeah. So, and this is really important for me in terms of things. So, the, you know, early, I'm afraid, as you probably know, everyone's seeing this, but, I'm, you know, I'm old. So, you know, I've, 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 so been a retailer for a long time. So, you know, I existed in a world where, you know, there weren't Google ads, there weren't all mm. these things, you know, it really was, was early state, but you know, what, what really, really matters is that, you know, you have to have a fundamental belief that the customer wants choice. And if that choice at the moment is they want to buy from your e-commerce site or they want to buy from Amazon. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you're going to offer both, yeah, you're going to get more sales. Yeah. Yeah. Because Different customers want different 
to be served in a different way. Yes. Yeah. So that's a more modern example of in the old, what we did, which was web, you know, mail order web shops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, taking that example, some people like to buy offline. You know, they want to go into a physical shop. Some people want to, to the convenience of buying, buying online. And, and so that's the, the, the theory you just have to believe in that the more channels you offer that are appropriate for your customer, the more sales you're going to get. And, and so if you're only in, you know, if you're an e-com site, you know, and again, all of these need to be evaluated, but you know, maybe you do need to, you know, your product may or may not be appropriate for Amazon, or maybe mm. there may be a more appropriate marketplace for your, for your sector, you know, but, but you do really need to, you know, if, if your aim is to grow. You've always got to answer your question, well, how the hell am I going to do that? And mm. one of the things you need to think about is, well, are there more channels that my customers would like to buy from me? And so what are some of the channels that we should definitely be thinking about? Yeah. Well, I think, so, so I, I still think, you know, in a, in an old fashioned world, I'm seeing lots of brands do pop-ups. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you, you know, giving people the experience in hand, you know, I'm assuming yeah. this is mainly with retail brands. Pop-ups, I think, are uh, proving to be popular. The, the other point about channel is that channel and, and marketing would get ever, ever closer. So in a way, you, you know, in the States in particular, now you can, you, know, you can shop on your Instagram feed directly. Mm -hmm. TikTok has TikTok shop. So all of these channels, that, so, and maybe marketing, but I'm also selling in the, in the same space. So there's a bit of a mishmash of, of what really is a, is a channel at the moment, what's a sales channel, what's a marketing mm. channel. And, you know, assuming that most people are, are, are doing Google, they're doing Meta, Meta as their, as their advertising channels, a bit like sort of, you know, should I add Amazon or something else? You should probably ask yourself, should I be doing TikTok? Should I be mm. doing Pinterest? And those are probably the, you know, once you've done, assuming Google and Meta are, are, are one and two. Those are, those are probably the next ones to go to. Um, yeah. but you shouldn't, you shouldn't just keep, you know, keep adding, you know, marketing channels down the, down the, um, uh, the e-com route, but you should also ask yourself the question of how do your economics work if I'm going to do, um, uh, Amazon or, or one of these other ones. Yeah. No, it's a super, super obvious, I say super obvious, but it's, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? it um, when you look at things like Instagram and Facebook, part of me has wondered why they haven't done it already yet. They've got all of these people who are who are ready to buy stuff, and they all they have to do is sell. Well, we're just going to become Amazon. We're just going to sell that. So if you promote stuff on uh, Instagram, well, you can sell it on Instagram. We're just going to take whatever three five percent commission off the top. Um, you're going to fulfill it. They don't have to carry any stock. It would be. I would love to talk to someone from Instagram about why this has taken so long to roll out because it just intrigues me that it's taken so long to roll out. Uh, but you're right; it's just going to be about just on that and why they have allowed, you know why Amazon have built such a strong position because they own the logistic there and they've yeah. now they're now hiding the marketing there. So you know, Amazon is you know and for, for you know, some areas of the world you know they're now effectively going to start offering logistics without you being a seller on Amazon. Mm -hmm. You know that that's the model. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Though? I mean, it's, I mean, it fascinates me how Amazon have done what they've done, to be fair. And there's a lot we can learn from them. And you think there's some very clever people uh, working behind the doors at Amazon. Um, but yeah, I, 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 so I get what you're saying about channels. And so 
One of the things I guess that people will struggle with that whole concept is um, if I sell on my website, for example, selling on Amazon feels like, especially if I'm just starting out, if I'm, an, if I'm a new company, then trying to sell on Amazon is going to feel like a really big jump. Like it's enough work trying to keep up with what I'm doing here. So then add Amazon into the mix is going gonna, is gonna to throw some extra baggage in that maybe is a little bit too much for them. Yeah, Matt, I, th- I think to your age-old thing of keeping things simple, you know, what I, what I think is really important is that you don't, it's done in, you know, life is complicated. Yeah. What, what really matters is understand what you're doing and understand how far you can you know, push it. So for me, the, you know, my penny drop moment was I couldn't recruit any more customers with the business model we had as, as we were at the white company selling bed linen towels and no, no other channels, you know, I couldn't, you know, I just lost too much money. I couldn't, mm. hadn't got, and, and it's not easy to unlock what the next winner is, but, you know, I'd really work each channel to its absolute max before you start adding complexity. So, you know, I really, if people are in early stage businesses, don't go and do TikTok and Google and Meta mm. and interest you. You won't have a clue what's going on, to be honest, or what's working, which will then become, if everything's working, hallelujah. But if you get to the point where it's not working, then you, then you have to start unpicking. You've got no idea. You have no idea about how you unpick it. Um, yeah. And in the same way, don't do Amazon and e-commerce until you really understand what you're doing in the in, in one or other. Make yeah. sure you understand what you're doing before you start moving through the channel gears. Yeah, no, fantastic. Listen, Oliver, I'm aware of time and I'm, I'd love it um, if you could just explain, a, a, maybe let's go to a slightly different tech. What is Sweet Analytics? You obviously moved from the white company to Sweet Analytics. Um, yeah. wh- what is it and what drew you into that? Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I hope I've sort of communicated with sort of my passion for for growing businesses. And, you know, during, I, you know, I've done various other things under the white company and, and, and I always know, you know, something I've been good at, successful at, some things have been a disaster, but I'd always known if I didn't know what the, these kind of numbers that I'm talking about, these principles, then I just didn't know what I was doing. And so what we're doing at Sweet Analytics is trying to make sure that for SMEs, it's really easy. We're self-serve. If you're on Shopify, we're big commerce normal kind of platforms, you can just plug in all our things, but we can deliver these metrics to you out the box that I think really helps you understand what mm. it is that you need to do in order to make your business grow. So that's what I wanted to do. There's a whole, you know, history of, of, of how analytics have moved, uh, you know, since I began my career, but you know, what I really wanted and what I'm passionate about is, is, you know, being able to deliver to people really simply, um, how you can get to you know, what we're talking about here. Because otherwise it's just hard, hard work. If it's too hard work, people don't do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? And you're, you're right. You've got to keep it. I mean, with everything, you know, we, we say this to clients, don't we, all the time. You've got to keep your website simple if you want people to buy off it. Um, and it's got to be the same with everything else. I mean, the, the theory stands up everywhere, right? It just, it just does. Oliver, listen, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about Sweet Analytics, What's the best way to do that? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm um, Oliver.spark at sweetanalytics.com. So as for my name, plus sweetanalytics.com. And so the website is sweetanalytics.com. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. if people want to head to the website. Exactly. Thank you, Matt. It is exactly all LinkedIn again, Oliver, Oliver Spark on LinkedIn. So either of those would be, would be, be great to hear from people. Because I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm really happy to have a, a chat with anybody about how you grow your business. 
Fantastic. Uh, I'm just making a note here to make sure that I'm actually connected with you on LinkedIn. Uh, so we'll make sure that we are doing that. Uh, Oliver, listen, we will, of course, make sure that all the info and all the links to you are in the show notes. So if you are listening to the show, if you're driving in your car and you've not been able to jot it all down, don't panic because they will be in the show notes, which you can get for free along with a transcript at ecommercepodcast.net. Or if you're signed up to the newsletter, they'll just be coming direct to your inbox with all kinds of good stuff. So uh, that will be coming through to you. Uh, but Oliver, thank you so much for joining me from Valencia, Spain. Thanks for, you know, giving us a few minutes where you're not on the beach, um, <laughs> sharing your awesome insights. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation and um, I wish we had a little bit more time because I've got a lot more questions, uh, but uh, we'll have to carry it on on a separate occasion. So thank you. Uh, genuinely, thank you for coming on. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. And the great thing was we only did three out of the five, so it was perfect. We did everything I imagined we would get to. But this is why I say what the stop, what are they? Uh, just so everybody knows, because if you only ever get three of them by the end of the show, people feel cheated, don't they? So, um, but no, it's great. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. What a great conversation uh, that was with Oliver. And also a big shout out to today's show sponsor, the e-commerce cohort. Remember to check out their free training at ecommercecycles.com where it's me uh, doing the training. So um, as long as you've not had enough of my voice, you'll enjoy it and hopefully it will be helpful. Now, be sure to follow the e-commerce podcast wherever you get your podcasts from because we have got yet more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. No, I don't. So make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast from. Now, in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. Oliver has to bear it. I have to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Now, the e-commerce podcast is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. Our theme song was written by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, head over to the website ecommercepodcast.net. So that's it from me. That's it from Oliver. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, have a great, fantastic week, wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.